Hi! Welcome to the CJW Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we will look back at that crazy, amazing, unbelievable finish between the Raptors and Sixers and preview round three of the NBA playoffs. My big man panel will assemble. Ty Jordan from the Power Drive and podcast boy Kyle Milroy, of course. Also, I'll talk to Brett Turner, who was honored this past weekend by being inducted into the Manitoba Softball Hall of Fame as a builder for all the coaching and volunteering that he has done over the years. And Lee Hextall stops by to explain whether or not the bunch of jerks have a chance to come back against Boston. That's on the podcast. (laughs) So we are with Ty Jordan and Kyle Milroy, two big Raptors fans. Ty, did you sleep at all last night? You know, I was like, okay, for a little bit. But once I got into bed and of course I pull out that phone, I just keep watching that clip over and over again. And I did not really fall asleep. How till, many times have you watched it at this point? I've lost track, but I didn't fall asleep till like after two, and I did not sleep well. But Too that's excited. okay. Hey, for good reason, right? Yeah, I am uh, beyond stoked. I mean, I just feel good. You feel good, like maybe there's hope. That it's an unusual feeling, right? It, it feels like maybe, like I didn't, I wasn't a believer before, and I know we're gonna get into it probably. But now I'm thinking. There's a chance. There's a part of me that there's, thinks there's a chance Kawhi Leonard stays with the okay. Raptors. There's a part of me. <laughs> it's, there's a part of me. I don't know. I didn't really. I'm like 20% in on it. If there was a chance, it's gotten better, but I don't think there's a chance. I don't still. think this changes it, but let's not focus on that yet because let's enjoy the moment now. Game sevens are usually rock fights, and we saw that with the Portland game as well. Barely getting to 90, either team in this one. It was not a very well-played game, but it comes down to the final shot. It's incredible drama, and it's one of the all-time moments. Well, it's obviously the moment in Raptors history, but it's it's one of the moments that'll live on in the NBA annals. It could be first top, game seven buzzer beater. It could yeah. be t- that was crazy when I heard that when they said it's the first ever game seven buzzer beater, and that doesn't count like if you score with point eight seconds left. Right. That's not a that's not a buzzer beater as the term is, but yeah, that will go down maybe in top five all time NBA playoff moments, and it happened to the team that. Has we're, no we're, playoff moments. And we're the team that we're rooting for, which <laughs> mm-hmm. is never never happens. It never happens to the team you want it to happen to. It always happens against you. And just the the amount of cool like angles and shots and things that and went up on the Sixers internet. Sixers fans and, gonna relive that for the rest uh, of their lives. It's really tough. I mean, it's I guess it's tempered a little bit by the fact that it wasn't a win to a loss. It was a tie to a win for the like for the Raptors fans. It was the, not a do or die shot. For the Sixers fans, you can go, well, we still would have had to won and win in overtime. It's not just like we had the win and then it got snatched from us. It's right. still just a devastating. Lost to have happened, as you could see in Joel and Bede's yeah. face afterwards. That was a really cool moment. It's almost when, worse, though, because you think, oh, man, if that wouldn't have gone in, we could have beat him in overtime. I do not think that would have happened. I think the Raptors would have lost had it got to overtime because a lot of players. No, I mean, that's what the Sixers fans right. are thinking. That's yeah, why that's, it hurts yeah. so bad. The The Raptors were playing well. They weren't shooting well. I mean, even Kawhi wasn't shooting well, quote, Took unquote. 39 shots. That is not a good. I mean, he was pretty good in the fourth quarter, but I yeah. think he was eight, at one point he was eight for 25, which is mm. not good. That's I very, thought Kyle Lowry uh, was good in the last two minutes. He, he played fantastic exactly. defense. Siakam played fantastic he was defense. He was. And that was cool because Lowry's been maligned, in some cases rightfully so, in this playoffs and other playoffs. But he played he played his butt off. That last two minutes game. from Kyle Lowry, I was like, okay. 
There we go. But there it still comes go. down to this incredible moment where the ball hits the rim four times, and you think, oh, that's not going in. Oh, maybe, no, maybe, no. Oh, my God, it's in! And, like, you know, now that it's settled and I'm not so angry at the 76ers, like you can honestly say, like, if they would have beat the Raptors, that would have been a hell of a series against still, the Bucks. Oh, yeah. They oh, would have, yeah. like, that's a talented team. Like, that's, people are like, oh, man, you it's got. It's a weird combination of players, though. And yeah. I think they're, they're realizing that, and they've, they're going to be a team that's around for a while, but. They do have a lot of questions to answer, but we're we're looking ahead now to the play teams that are still here, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously now we look at Toronto and Milwaukee. Giannis and his bunch crushed Boston in five games. What does Toronto have to do, Kyle? They to I get mean, to their first ever NBA Finals. I mean, they got to win at least one on the road, obviously, because yes. they only they 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 don't have home court advantage. I said this before the season, the postseason. I said the Bucks would make the finals. I didn't think they'd be playing even the Raptors necessarily in the conference finals. But having home court is very important in basketball, even compared to the other major sports. I believe. Well, you look at even Game Sevens, right? In the NHL, home team wins like fifty-eight percent. NBA, they win like seventy-eight percent. That was the crazy. Mm-hmm. That was the thing also that made me have a bit of calm going back to the, the Raptors game is the fact that Portland beat Denver. A road team. Won You're not going to have seven. two road teams. That's, that was kind of my, like, even though there's no real reason I should feel that way. Right. It's just the law of there's averages. absolutely no and, connection. Right. I just go, okay, I feel a bit better. But, yeah, um, Milwaukee is good. I The only thing I will say about the Milwaukee Bucks is maybe the same thing that happened to Denver, where it's like they haven't been pushing it to this level as long as the Raptors. And, you know, deserves got nothing to do with it, as our colleague Jeff Courier says often. Right. Um but yeah, like Milwaukee will be fine and will be back in. They've got the MVP. Yeah, they'll be back in the intact next year and probably do it again. This might be the window for the Raptors. Raptors got to make their. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that commentator with? Like Raptors got to make or Sam Mitchell? They got to make their shots. That's what the Raptors got to do. <laughs> That's all they got to do to beat the Bucks. They got to make their shots. I mean, yeah, they had chances to be up by quite a bit early in that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't obviously Kawhi needs more help. Danny Green was not ever on the court. Siakam was a little bit, I think, scared of the moment. No, no one wanted to shoot the ball other than Kawhi. But when you have one of the superstars of the league on your team, whether or not he stays next year is a discussion for a later date. But it gives them a shot, and he's one of the best defenders that the league has ever seen, too. Will he, will he ever get matched up on Giannis? Or I, oh, for sure, they'll try. I don't know if it's. Uh, I don't know if it'll be the situation where the Raptors will have who to be can like, guard him. Maybe I Pascal. I don't, I don't know. Don't know. Can. Maybe they will at least run him, run him down a bit. I don't know if he could physically guard him specifically, but they mm-hmm. might just have to be okay. Let's guard all the other Bucks. Let Giannis get his what he's going to do. And Giannis and Kawhi are totally going to go head to head. That's yeah. all it's going to be. Okay. Let's Wait. move on to the next one now, because I'm I'm really intrigued by this next one yeah. more than I ever thought I would be. Golden State Portland in the West. The Warriors win without Kevin Durant Friday night in a game that was just absolutely there for the taking for Houston. Game five was also, and it's a reminder that hey, yeah, you know what? They didn't have Durant, but this team wanted to show that they could do it. Steph, Clay are still two amazing players. You've got a really good player in. Andrea Godala, who is an M- a Finals MVP in the past, Raymond Green is playing at a high level, and even without Durant, they still got to be the favorites. I mean, first thing, let's pour one out for the Rockets. They did I, a terrible job. They oh were, my god! Mm-hmm. They were just in the zone and they had their chance, and they just completely blew it. And James Harden, no what, what? What? No sympathy. Where but was yeah. he? We were forget. I, it's nice to see Draymond Green play at this level. He hasn't been playing this well for a couple of years, Ugh, I'd say. I can't stand and as, as well as Durant, as amazing as Durant is, and obviously they prefer to have him. The level of deference goes down when he's gone, so they can just 
play their original game a little okay. bit more instead of going, we got to make sure KD gets his 2015 own. KD, Warriors and KD here. KD makes sure he gets his own shots too, obviously. But yeah. you can just kind of go, you have a little bit less to think about. Again, of course, obviously having the third or fourth best player in the world on your team is better. How do you think... How do you think C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard will stack up against uh, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson? Well, we've seen them play in the, in the playoffs three years ago, and the the Blazers did themselves pretty well, they but did. then they got swept the next two years by other teams. The issue is is Klay Thompson's a really good defender mm. out of the two guards, and Curry's good. He's not great. He's a good defender. The Blazers' guards are not good defenders. And we've seen the the Blazers there. See, the thing is, the, the, the Warriors don't have anything inside. That really hurts you all that much, so... That's a, a weakness of Portland's. They don't have a lot of interior offense or defense because Cantor has got one arm. Nurkic, see, of course, got hurt. The, I'd love the to see if Nurkic is still playing because the Heat stretch yeah. the floor a bit more. That'd be interesting. I want to just see uh, Damian Lillard show everyone, hey, this is – if you want to say you're that guy, let's see yeah. it. Yeah, well, he was not great in Game 7 yesterday, but again, C.J. McCollum had the I game told of his you, life. On one of these – we were on one of these, and I said C.J. McCollum's unreal, and you guys are like, I don't know, man. You well, guys are crazy. No, I think he's he great. Up. And that was a game, too, that Denver should have probably won. They were up by double digits for a lot of that game and kind of faded, and Jamal Murray had a really bad game, and it was kind of Jokic doing it all himself. But this is what I want to see, because Damian Lillard, no doubt in my mind, believes he's the best he's point guard in player. the league. Oh, and he believes from, it. So and I want to see it. Too. And he's from Oakland, yeah. I want to see it. I want to see him go up against the guy who they say is the best, and he's telling me you're the best. Let's see you beat him. Is there any chance that Portland wins this series? Never say never, but I'd say probably not. If Portland could, let's say Portland loses in six, that's a victory. I'd I think say. that's yeah. If they get to, if they take, and Lillard has like a game where he gets forty six, that's about what's going to have to happen. More than oh once yeah, for them he's going to have anything. to go. He's going to have to show it. Rodney Hood stepping up. He he should be back in the, in this series. So. It's it was one of the great second rounds I think in NBA playoffs history after time, just a yeah. dud of a first round. Mm-hmm. Let's hope for more. So uh, obviously we all think Golden State in six or fewer. Take off your your homer caps, <laughs> Raptors or Bucks. I said Milwaukee in seven before. I'm going to stick to that just because the home court. If Raptors at home court against Bucks, I'd say Raps in seven. I'll say Bucks in seven. I'm just going to say Raptors because Kawhi Leonard, man, he's made me. Uh, so maybe like I don't have words sometimes. Like I don't have words. Neither for does it. he. Like it's uh, <laughs> absolutely incredible what he's done this postseason. So let's see it. Let's see it. And you know what? The Raptors will break out the checkbook. And I will. Uh, I'll. I'll go with the Bucks as well in six. And uh, Kawhi's last game will be on a Toronto floor. They'll cheer for him. There will be a chant at the end of the game. MVP. Saying, please stay. Please. Please. And come then back. Uh, then he'll be a Clipper. All right. Well, on that note, thanks, gentlemen. Thank eee. you. The 2019 class of inductees into the Manitoba Softball Hall of Fame were enshrined at a ceremony this past weekend in Winnipeg. One of the inductees, as a builder, is Brett Turner, a Brandonite who coached a pair of teams in the Canada Games, won a number of titles provincially as a coach, created a league in the summertime, and helped build a new softball complex in Brandon. And Brett joins me now on the sports show. Brett, I'm curious, when did you start playing softball? Oh, when I was, I think, 18, um, we had a baseball team in, in Boisvane, where I came from, and uh, some of the older guys decided they were going to pack it in, and we didn't have enough to field the team anymore. So uh, three of us younger guys went and started playing baseball or fastball. What was that adjustment like for you? What was Because the, the games are very different, as similar as they are. How was that adjustment? Um, <laughs> I found it really hard at first, uh, because the distances are smaller with fastball, 
um, ball gets on you a lot quicker, and uh, it's an adjustment. took a while. And uh, I guess when did you kind of make the transition into coaching? Um, I was uh, actually living in Winnipeg. Um, My brother started a new uh, team in Winnipeg called the Winnipeg Lightning, and he asked me if I would help coach, and that was my first foray into coaching. I had helped, you know, organize men's teams while playing, but not it's not really a coaching. <laughs> what is it about the game that, that has kept you in it all these years? The people. <laughs> um, that's what I said at, the, at uh, the ceremony on Saturday night. It's, uh, it's not uh, so much the game itself. It's the people that you meet and in, in, uh, work with. Um, the people you coach with, and most of all, the for me, it's the kids that I got to coach and, and the quality people that they are. When did you kind of quit playing and it focused entirely on the coaching side of it? Um, I always had a goal to, <laughs> to continue to play until I was 50. Um, so I did that while coaching, so I wasn't really playing very much. It was more like <laughs> somebody that was warming the bench and keeping it occupied, but... Um, so I probably started coaching um, full-time maybe, I'm thinking, around 2004 or five, something like that. I understand that the Canada Games was one of the highlights of your career. Yeah, two Canada Games. Um, in 1997, I got to coach with my brother uh, with the um, Manitoba men's team here in Brandon. The Games are here in Brandon. And so that was kind of special, both to coach with him and to the fact that it was being held in my hometown. Um, And then again, in 2001, um, I got to coach with my niece. Um, This time the uh, event was held in London, Ontario. But that team included, it was the girls, the girls, mental, the girls team, included several of the kids that I had been coaching over the last four or five years. So that was rewarding because of all those kids that you've been working with. And so were the, the ages of the kids you coached, did that vary over the years or was it always kind of the same age set? No, it changed. Uh, I, the The first group that I started coaching in Brandon um, with the Westman Magic, they started out as uh, Bantam age players, so they would have been 15-year-olds. Um, and I coached them until they got to junior age, which back then was 19 or some of them maybe 20. And then I went back and uh, started coaching a group of, uh, I guess they would have been 11 and 12-year-olds, and worked with that group for a while and until they were probably 18. And then the third time went back with younger kids again and worked with, uh, with 12-year-olds again, actually. So instead of just always coaching 12-year-olds, it's you're, you're taking the same set of kids and kind of almost growing up with them work, a little bit. Work, working with them for a while, yeah. Yeah, and so when that when they get to that age where, you know, they're 18 years old, and what's the payoff for you? Payoff is, is seeing their skills. Um, I also did, for a number of years, did uh, clinics, and because picture I, I, I taught, pitching in clinics, and uh, there's more than one occasion where I had a kid that I stood first started working with and teaching how to throw when they were uh, probably 8 or 9 or 10 years old, and uh, those two specifically 
went on to uh, pitch for Team Manitoba at Canada Games. I guess actually three, maybe. So it's rewarding to see their skills develop over the years. Now, it's not just coaching, right? You're kind of involved in all kinds of volunteering and boards and whatnot, right? You just love the game. <laughs> well, it's kind of like uh, there's something that needs to be done, so somebody put up their hand and do it. So, yeah, I've done a, m- a bunch of different things. I was uh, on the board of the Westman Softball Association. I was on the board for Manitoba Softball for a while. I've uh, worked at various different events from – um, Western Canadians to Nationals to uh, the Pan Am Games, working as a scorekeeper and statistician, and more recently at events here in Brandon that involve more kind of diamond maintenance. Now, speaking of uh, diamonds, tell me about the uh, Ashley Newfeld Complex. Uh, the Ashley Newfeld Complex is a is a passion. It. Uh, we we had a need for a facility here in Brandon. Um, we had been talking to the city for a while about finding a place to uh, to build a facility. Um, and around the time that that we we had raised a little bit of money through hosting a Western Canadian Championship, um, I think twenty thousand dollars or something like that. So that was sort of the starting point. And around the same time that happened. Um, the daughter of uh, one of the people involved in softball in Brandon, Asha Neufeld, lost her life in an accident and um, sort of became the catalyst for uh, uh, drawing interest and drawing uh, support for the facility. And so um, I think I chaired that committee from around, I think it started in 2010, and I stayed, I'm still on the committee, but I'm not chair anymore. So we... Uh, we over the course of time raised a lo- about a million and a half dollars uh, to build the facility. Um, all the diamonds are built and have been played on for a couple of years now. Uh, we're just sort of finishing up by putting in a canteen and washrooms and sort of um, making the place a little more um, aesthetically pleasing. And, and uh, yeah, it's been rewarding and lots of hard work. Now, I, I heard that you weren't looking forward to giving a speech on Saturday. How did it go? <laughs> it was it was nervous. Um, <laughs> I think I paced up and down in the banquet hall during, <laughs> during everything that was going on except the speeches. And it, and, but when it came my turn to get up and speak, uh, once you get started, it was good. It was good. Well, Brett, I appreciate your time tonight. Congratulations again and uh, all the best going forward. Thank you very much. Two games in, Bruins with two wins. They've scored a lot of goals in those two games. Game one, you know, five goals is, isn't really indicative of how close that game was. It kind of pulled away late for Boston. But game two, that may have been one of the more dominant games by a team that we've seen in this postseason and maybe one of the lousiest performances that we've seen with Carolina really not showing up. 
that is the point right there. That was a bad game by the Carolina Hurricanes. They did not start on time, and they didn't show up throughout the game. They couldn't establish their forecheck. They didn't get the goaltending. Six goals on 21 shots. Their power play going zero for four. They actually have five power play goals and 45 opportunities in these playoffs. They're only operating their power play at 11%, which tells you how good they've been in other situations besides with the extra man. But I think the biggest thing, Christian, in this one, what we saw for the very first time in this Hurricanes team is that the Bruins upset the balance of their game. They got to them. And the reason you can tell on that is because of their captain. It is very uncharacteristic of Justin Williams to get rattled. But Brad Marchand, the little ball of hate, the little instigator, as they call him in Boston, he did his job. And we saw that in that moment when Williams took a holding penalty, brought down by Marchand and got up and grabbed his chin strap. I mean, you don't see that coming out of your captain, and Marchand made him know that. He was mimicking the sea to him, mm-hmm. pointing towards the box, and that tells me something. And that, to me, is more so than anything else. You can correct having a bad game. You can go take a beat, take a breath, go back to home ice, have last change, get the matchups that you want, and you can correct those things. But the Carolina Hurricanes are a team that – and as William said, maybe started believing their own hype a little bit. Here they are in the playoffs. They're getting the job done. They're sweeping a series. They're coming into it thinking, wow, we're a good hockey club. They are a good hockey club, but now they've met the Boston Bruins. And it's interesting to me because somebody said, well, they've been in this position before because they were down 2-0 to the Washington Capitals in the first round and came back and won that. And I said, yeah, but I think this Bruins team has something that the Capitals didn't have. And I think it's that they're under the skin and they've taken the attention away from the Carolina Hurricanes, focusing just on themselves. And now they've fallen into that thing that the Bruins do and they manage to get them. And it's almost like a toilet bowl going down once you flush it. If Mm. you get in there and you can't pull yourselves out. So it's going to be really interesting to see if the leadership core of the Canes can get this team back on track. And two of the big staples for Boston has been their power play, especially with that top line, and the play of Tuka Rask, who has been in the playoffs for a long time. You compare that to Peter Morazic, who's fairly green in the postseason, and he was not good in game game two. So is it really as simple as Morazic's got to be better and the Canes stay out of the box? Well, it could be that simple, but is it as simple as Morazic doesn't play and Curtis McElhaney comes mm, in? Yeah. I mean, this to me is a really big question. You know, you don't want to take anything away from Peter Morazic. And the one thing I do know about Rod Brindamore, because I know him a little bit personally, he's a very he's a very loyal player, and I think he's a very loyal coach. And Peter Morazic is the guy who's got them here. Before he was injured in the series against the Islanders, I mean, 210 saves on 230 shots very good for them all year but then he goes down with the lower body injury McElhaney comes in he goes three and oh with a goals against average of 1.56 so here it is you're not playing around you're in the eastern conference final and look at how many goals he's given up in the first two games granted as you mentioned Christian his team did not play that well in game two but you know the Blues didn't play that well either and Jordan Bingington comes up with the saves when needed so to me I really, I think they're going to go with Morazic in game three, but I think there's going to be and has to be a very short rope. If you go down 2 nothing in that first period, I think the change has to be made because something, you either need it just for the momentum of the team in front of him or you need it because Curtis McElhaney came in and did his job. 
it's important not to overreact to things that happen in game one, like the Sharks or the first two games for Boston. But I, I definitely get the sense that this East final is not going to be a long series. I think you're right. Um, you know, as much as we've all enjoyed this story about the Carolina Hurricanes and what it's done and the bunch of jerks, I think it's very clear that this isn't, just isn't a bad game by Carolina. The Boston Bruins are a better team. They are a very deep team. On top of that, you know, what was interesting in game two is that they're veteran, they're talent, they're well-coached team by Bruce Cassidy. They're a professional team, which we've talked about before. They know how to go into the rink, not be distracted, and get it done. But more importantly is when that top line doesn't produce on the score sheet as they have so often been able to find their way, then you have a third line that's led by Charlie Coyle getting it done with three assists in the night. You have defensemen. Matt Grislick had two goals, and Connor Clifton got his first NHL goal. I mean, they are managing to find a way to get it done, and it just shows how deep they are. So there's a lot of people who said that Tuka Rask, they're not going to win a cup with him. You know, I can't talk about the cup yet because we're not there, right. but I truly believe that team in front of him is very, very strong, very deep. The special teams are working. They're playing playing strong five-on-five. Five. They've got elite talent. And, you know, Christian, uh, there is a chance that this could be a sweep. I, I do feel that this could be a sweep with what I've seen through the first two games. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?